It is the Wednesday edition of Canuck Central. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Satyar Shah with Bik Nazar in for Dan Riccio. Maintenance. Taking some maintenance days here in the spring, the off-season. We were joking on before the show <laughs> that we should have a 650 transactions page <laughs> and, and say what reasons hosts are missing a day. Papered. Paper transactions sometimes. Yeah, reaches day-to-day. <laughs> He's day-to-day. Yeah. Maintenance. Yeah. There's no injury, but no this, harm. This yeah. day-to-day won't turn into week-to-week. Yeah. No. Yeah. Or we could say it's week to week. He misses one show and he's back. Yeah. I mean, JT Miller did it. There we go. Who knows? Exactly. Sat not on the show today for trade-related reasons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. And we also announced whose contracts are coming to an end. <laughs> yeah. It's a slippery slope if we do this. <laughs> yeah, it happens. happens uh, it, gets, it gets pretty obnoxious pretty quickly. All right. Well, we have a lot to get to today. We're going to have a lot of fun. We have Kevin Woodley joining us. As always, on Wednesdays, we'll break down the remaining four goaltenders in the National Hockey League playoffs, plus some off-season goalie talk as well. And one of our favorite segments, Overrated Underrated. That is coming up, uh, what, at 3 o'clock? So if you want to keep getting your submissions in... You might have some time to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Now, that's all to come, and we're also going to talk some relocation, perhaps. Everyone loves talking about the Phoenix Coyotes, Arizona Coyotes, and everybody makes fun of Mullet Arena, and we all know what happened with the vote yesterday for the new arena in Tempe. It's not happening, and we'll discuss that coming up in a few minutes' time. Now, Bick, one of the things that has been catching our attention is this pursuit of models that we always see for teams that are remaining in the playoff race. And usually you get to the conference finals and ultimately the cup final, everyone talks about how do we be like the teams who got here? But mm-hmm. this is where the discussions start happening. And one of the things that's kind of been percolating is other teams and their desire to pull the Matthew Kachuk trade. We want to be like the Florida Panthers. We want to use a couple of our players and upgrade to a superstar and then take off. That's something that Kyle Dubas cited. Other GMs have kind of hinted at in terms of what upgrades can we make as far as finding star-level players. So I'm like, great, great plan. I love mm-hmm. that plan. I subscribe to that plan. Everyone should follow that plan. It's, it's different. It's, it's something that we don't often see. Yeah, go pursue superstar players. Yeah. But the question is, who is the Matthew Kachuk of this offseason? Because it was very clear he wasn't going to sign with Calgary, and that forced upon that situation. But we look at the free agent list. Austin Matthews just reiterated his desire to stay in Toronto, so that's kind of cool about maybe just maybe they have to trade Austin Matthews out of Toronto. Who are the star players that GMs are talking about here? Yeah, I'm hard pressed to find a lot of names, right? Like, I mean, and I, I, I think we have to like stretch this out beyond like the Matt Kachuk range, right? Because that's like true bona fide. Like, you can be the best player on a Stanley Cup winning team. Yes, franchise player. Yeah. There's really only like 20 of those guys across the league. Yeah. Skaters. Skater. Yeah, I mean, you're not including goaltenders. Like Shosturkin, Vasilevsky. We'll, we'll, right. We'll eliminate those. Just for skaters. Actually, maybe we'll pitch that by Woodley later on today. Just skaters. There's really only about 20 of those guys that are true blue, like elite, elite blue chippers. There's a bunch of guys trying to push to get into that group. I put Elias Pettersson in that second tier group of like, hey, I am one of these guys. But... It's really not that many. And so you have to like slip it down a tier and say, okay, who else is available across the league? And I find myself trying to make arguments for guys that can slip into this into this range. But man, there aren't really a lot of candidates as far as, oh yeah, this true superstar is could be on the market this summer. Yeah. And I mean, the list starts and almost ends with one name. 
and only has three letters for the last name. And it's a name we've discussed before and talked about, hey, like, if you're looking to maybe, if you if you are trading JT Miller, if that's what you're looking to do, who are you trying to go and get? I'm like, you know what? If you can go and get a superstar type player or a star level player who may want out or may be a year away from free agency, that's the guy I go after. And outside of Sebastian Ajo, who is still playing for the Carolina mm-hmm. Hurricanes and may very well sign a contract extension and remain there, but he's already signed an offer sheet before. We all know that he's looking at a massive contract and Carolina may be not willing to give out that type of contract and that type of signing bonus money that he might be looking for. Is he the only name? Are there any other names? And even that, like, we're stretching. We're assuming. We're, we're taking, like, yeah. three or four leaps and saying, maybe, just maybe, this guy could be available. Well, no, I really like Sebastian Ajo, and it's more of a product of how many great centers there are right now. Because I do think he is really underrated. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and one of the elite centers in the league. But I, I took this exercise of saying what top ten players in their positions might be available and might be on the move this year. I don't think Carolina wants to lose Sebastian Ajo, but contract is going to influence that type of decision what their team build looks like so maybe contractually they're put into a position just like the calgary flames were with matthew kachuk but look if he's available that to me is one that that really looks like it could happen like we saw kevin fiala last year yeah that to me was a top 10 player in his position but are these guys more in the huberto mold or are they more in the kachuk mold because Huberto last year, yeah. we would have said, hey, top 10 left winger. I this year, suddenly it's a little bit more murky. I, I would say about Ajo that... Because, so I made the point yesterday that the players or the skaters who have to make the biggest sacrifice playing in Carolina are their most skilled forwards. Mm-hmm. Their defensemen, if anything, are emboldened to move the puck a lot and really use their skill set. It's their real skilled forwards that have to really curtail a lot of what they do to play the team game, which obviously is successful. So when we look at Ajo, is the only reason why we don't put him in the Kachuk category that he hasn't been allowed to get loose. And if he gets loose... And and probably hasn't had playoff success. Right. Like Stanley Cup level right. success. Like To be honest, if we we're just grading players, like would you rather have Braden Point or Sebastian Ajo? Point. But it's in that group, it's, right? It's simple. It's, I take point because close. of what he's done in the playoffs. That's why I take point. But that's like that's also outside of just Braden Point, yes. right? That's Kucherov, Hedman, Vasilevsky, different situation. Stamkos, all precisely. This, all these other stars. Can you do the same thing playing Point's role with Tampa Bay Lightning? I wouldn't. He'd be pretty close. I'd I could say. Point do the same what Ajo was doing in Carolina. Some similarities. Yeah, but, but I mean, and are these guys even available? Is the big question. Would he even? Get to the point. Because I, I keep hearing people say, well, let's go and make the Matthew Kachuk trade. But yeah. that means you have to have the Matthew Kachuk type players available to to trade for. I mean, the other name who's been bandied about a ton is Mitch Marner. Yeah. Now, I don't know how realistic that is, but his name has been thrown out. It, does Toronto have to trade him? He fits the category of superstar level player up for the Selkie this season. You know, can score 100 points, can do a bit of everything for you offensively, been good defensively. I mean, is he another player on this list? But is he making? Does he make too much money almost to be able to kind of fit the Kachuk mold? Could Kachuk still makes less money than Mitch Marner does on yeah, the cap? Yeah, and the, the fact that uh, Kachuk, you got to sign him to an extension and play this out for eight years rather than taking the last couple of years of Marner's second deal. Uh, so so it, it's a name that you put onto this list, but it's just shy of eleven. Yeah. And like, that's a lot of money. Like, Matt, Matthew Kachuk is making 9.5 mm-hmm. on the cap. I mean, it's a significant difference. It's a great number for Florida. Yes. it's. I mean, a lot of it is signing bonus money. We all know the tax situation yep. and everything. But nonetheless, it's about what it counts against the cap as long as you have the willingness to make that payment to the player. And then go across the league right now. 
again, I really like Timo Meyer. I would consider yeah. him a top 10 left winger. He's already been moved. Maybe he gets moved again. If they can't extend him. Brat, they got that whole situation to consider. But I'm kind of extending this out. Someone like Jacob Chikrin, he's already been moved. Right. Is he a top 10 left shot D-man to you? Probably not for me, but in that range. But he's already been moved. Some of these players have already been moved. Like Mackenzie Weger. A year ago, a lot of people would say, hey, that guy's one of the best 10... Right-hand defensemen, yeah. He's already been moved. He's already inked his deal. You go through this, and the the desire to pull off that type of move might be there for a lot of teams, but the actual inventory of those players probably doesn't exist. I'll throw a couple of names at you that, that maybe, just because of their team situation, does Winnipeg consider a Kyle Connor? I mean... If they really want to make changes... They're like the discount Maple Leafs, right? <laughs> they don't get as much attention. They've had right. some playoff failure, and it's right. like, you know what? This isn't working anymore. Yeah. I don't think they will because they love Kyle Connor. He's he's we, one of the best bargains in the league at $7.1 million. We never hear any acclaim about Kyle Connor. All he does is put up 40 goals, kind of just low profile, does his thing, and he just scores goals. Like He's a guy that I could see go somewhere else on a really good team and then get 100 points next year, score 50 goals. Yeah, it, it's it's sitting there for him. Um but like that would be a name. And I mean, I, I know PLD gets thrown out, but if he just I, I wants to go to Montreal, but I'm not even sure if that's like a star player. Is PLD like he's is he a top twenty center? I don't know if he is right now. So, I think with PLD, it's a projection. Yeah, you're saying okay, there's still some potential here. He needs stability. If this is his final destination and this is the place he's going to sign, like maybe we get the PLD that went top three in the draft. I'll frame it this way: like when Matt Kachuk trade happened. I knew where I was. If yeah. PLD gets moved, I go, oh, yes. I carry on with the rest of my day. I'll, I'll keep shopping in the produce section. And I'll, I'll keep doing my thing wherever I am at that time. Yes. Just a quick aside to that. I'll never forget the, uh, what was it, Jeff Carter trade or the Mike Richards trade? Because I was at a passport office at the time when the trade happened. <laughs> the Carter one. Cause I, I was, think it was the Carter yeah, one, yeah. yeah. But uh, nonetheless, that one always comes to mind. But Carter, even at that time, like yes. he was better than PLD is yeah, right now. Yeah, of course. I mean, a lot better, right? And... I mean, you're talking about what they gave up to get him, too, was a pretty significant... Uh, I mean, what they gave up to get both those players ends up being pretty significant. I mean, Braden Shen ends up going to the Philadelphia Flyers initially for Mike Richards in, in that deal. But I think when you look at these types of players, yeah, now we're kind of stretching. Could Kyle Connor fall, fall into that category? So I'm unconvinced about these star players and following the, uh, the Florida model. But the thing I like about Florida, and to a larger extent, even the Vegas Golden Knights, is... Their pursuit for the best players available in every single market, whether it's trade or free agency. Can we get the best player? Can we get Petrangelo? Mm -hmm. Can we get Mark Stone? Can we go and get Matthew Kachuk? Jack Eichel. Jack Eichel. I think the pursuit of getting the best players available at the kind of age range where you can win with them, I love that. I love that type of ambition. And and sure, you can give away first-round picks for guys who can play second-line roles. I mean, if you're going to roll the dice, roll the dice on the best players. Be aggressive in trying to get those guys. So is there a model or a team build that you think the rest of the league should be rooting for? Actually, not even the rest of the league. The viewing public be rooting for. Because I, I, we've been looking for themes of how four teams got here. And I think that's right. an important exercise for everyone to do to say, hey, how did, like, how did these teams get here and what could the future of the NHL be? But is there one that you look at that say, hey, this is the most exciting? Because I think the four teams have kind of got here, gotten here very differently. Yes. We've just kind of mentioned Vegas. They are, they got all those draft picks. They were hyper-aggressive, 
Stone, Eichel, whatever we can get a star player, let's go get a star player. That's pedal to the metal all the time. Dallas is now suddenly the model retool on the fly, which is probably every owner's dream. Don't have to rebuild too long, get playoff dates, and if you can have success, this is multiple conference finals now for the Dallas Stars. Been a gritty team. They've had their success here. Florida, we've mentioned the Kachuk move, and that's the one that pushed them over to the top. And Carolina, to me, I, I would actually label Carolina a rather cautious rebuild, even though they've made a lot of transactions. But it's waiting for other teams to view their own players differently and pouncing on those opportunities rather than being hyper-aggressive, go-getting-star yes. players. They're trying to make players fit into their system, and they've done it impeccably. And it's four different builds. Is there one that fans across the league should say, I hope this team wins so my, te- my team is inspired to be like that? Yesterday we discussed how the closest model to Vancouver would be the Dallas one Mm -hmm. in terms of how they retooled some similarities and clearly farther ahead where Dallas is and Vancouver has a lot of catching up to do. But if you're trying to look at the remaining four teams, which one is the closest, I'd say it's them. But in terms of there's a different question between who's Vancouver closest to and what's best for the league. And trying to trade for the best players available, I think is the best thing for the league. Nothing gets people more excited than a massive trade. And we don't get enough of those mm-hmm. in the NHL. And, and just look at the success, again, from Vegas and Florida making like the two biggest trades over the past calendar year, right? It was Jack, acquiring Jack Eichel with all the risks with his neck injury and then pulling off the Matthew Kachuk deal in Florida. And both those teams getting the best players available at their position, arguably, in trade and the market, are now finding themselves you know, a step away from getting to the cup final. And the fact that it's worked is why it's exciting, right? Yes. Big trades can happen, or at least high-cost trades can happen. But the fact that it's working is a great double-down effect of like, hey, this is why you make those players. This is why you you go buy gold and say, Jack Eichel is a gold bar. Let's go get him. And by the way, I'm not so advocating your, your your own personal portfolio should we go buy gold you do what you want to do no but I, I know I, like I, the, the, these types of players don't come up very often but but, but but let's say for instance right these guys don't and right now like we went through it's we're really stretching to find guys who could, could become available like jane gensel's been on some lists of potential trades yeah that could happen i think he's a phenomenal player is anyone like oh wow we got jake gensel is, is, is that a star player i mean he's really good he's Again, really he's good. Really good. It depends the the level of star you're talking about. But I to, to me, he's more of the Huberdo. Right. Yeah. I mean, closer to that. And again, like if you make that deal, and and as long as you're not paying the guy 11 million and he's underperforming, you can still get away with that and have a lot of success with it. The the thing to me though is, if Vancouver's going to be in a position to acquire the best player on the market, they're still a year from doing that. Like right now, we can talk about hey, you can move the 11th overall pick. You can maybe move this guy. But it's going to be hard for you to get the Aho. It's going to mm-hmm. be hard for you to get the Matthew Kachuk if he becomes available. But is it easier for you in a year's time if you build up some of your asset capital, some guys regain value, some guys emerge, you have some more draft picks, you have some prospects brewing? A year from now, let's say you make the playoffs next year, could you be in a position that the next Kachuk who becomes available, can you be the team? Can you be like Vegas where you can trade a first-round pick, you can trade a couple prospects? Because now all of a sudden your top-five prospect pool looks pretty good. Because, I mean, right now, like, Harry Mackey's taking a bit better step. And he mm-hmm. looks a lot better. Raw, too, whatever, but he's still in the discussion. You add somebody else 11th overall this year. Look at Hoagland or look at Put Colson. Does one of the, or two of those guys emerge? Do you get a young defenseman emerging a little bit? All of a sudden, in a year's time, Bick, 
can you put a package together where you're like, here's a first round pick, here's two prospects, here's this guy, and let's go and get that player. in 2025. Exactly. I think I think you have to set yourself up to be a playoff team next year, make some moves that you can make to improve the defense, improve your forward group and the third line center spot. But to get that next guy, you have to build the capital to be able to pounce where that opportunity arises. Arises, and last year and this year, the Canucks simply don't ha- doesn't ha- don't have the capital to make those moves unless they're moving their best young players. Pairs well when 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 they actually need that money too. Exactly, because it's going to be the Pedersen first year of that contract for when that that money starts to get uh, allocated to finding the next guy. So once you have the cost certainty of Elias Pedersen. Now you can start chopping for the other things. And it's the importance of having a plan, right? And that's why I can't be all in right now and let's get everything solved. You have to look at it over like two or three years. And if you can build towards that, then all of a sudden you have an opportunity. But that's why I hope if we see Vegas and Florida in the cup final, then the argument is go and trade for Eichel and to Kachuk every year. Maybe teams will get more motivated to go make those massive trades. Uh, a lot of reaction on this on our text inbox, 650-650. Uh, we'll hit that as the show goes on. Chris from Nanaimo says, today's 9.5 is yesterday's 7.5. LOL. Kachuk's contract is awesome. It is absolutely harsh from Surrey. What about Ehlers? Good player. I'm not sure he fits the superstar category we're talking mm-hmm. about here, but certainly a player who has a lot of talent. We'll hit some more of your texts as the show goes on here, but we wanted to get to the Arizona Coyotes as well. The vote in Tempe, Arizona was struck down yesterday for a publicly funded new arena and sporting district. So that's not happening. What has been announced, however, since then is the Coyotes are still playing in Mullet Arena next season. They're not going anywhere as of now. Salt Lake City's been thrown out. Houston's been thrown out. Quebec City's been thrown out. Kansas City's been thrown out. There is a lot of scuttle about, about where the Coyotes will ultimately relocate to. And it's a question of when, not if, for most people, Bick. But is that actually what's going to happen here? Do you believe that Gary Bettman in the National Hockey League will actually decide to cut ties with that city and move on finally? Not the least bit surprised at some of the news that came out today. After yesterday where it felt like everyone wanted to jump the gun and say, all right, it's over. The long saga that we've talked about for two decades now yeah, of the Arizona the Arizona Coyotes moving. I feel like everyone rushed to it and say, well, that's the final straw, right? You and I have talked on the postgame show a lot, and there's a phrase I like to use that coaches and GMs and execs can lie a lot yes. when they're talking to media. But you, you have to follow the actions. You can't lie with your actions. So today, they come out and say, 2023-24, we're playing in Mullet Arena. And another phrase we love to use, past actions dictate future actions. This league has doubled down on Arizona time and time and time again. How many times in, our, in the Coyotes' history have we said, that's got to be the final blow, right? And suddenly, another card gets played by yeah. Gary Bettman in the league office, and hey, they're willing to play in a 5,000-seat arena and say, hey, this is fine. For a league that depends on its gate revenues... They were already willing to concede that for multiple seasons prior to this vote. They say, you know what? Screw it. Three years in Mullet Arena, we'll do it. That's a huge concession to make for a league that wants its gate revenues. And I know Arizona's not the most attractive gate revenue, but the fact that a league was considering, you know what? If we get 2,700 a night, that's a win for us, given this plan. It's a joke. It's embarrassing. But they've already conceded that. Exactly. What? What's the next big compromise? There's no other big compromise that they're clearly not willing to make. They played their hand. 
They've already told you what they are. They will keep doubling down on this. And I'll make a movie reference for you. Uh-huh. Here. Oh, here we go. And I, I know I don't need to stretch for, too far for this one for you. The Dark Knight. <laughs> just imagine like the Arizona o- owners or the Joker. And Batman just catches him. He's hanging off the side of the building. And do you think they're sitting there like, you think I'd risk the coyote's soul in an election with the voters? You need an ace in the hole. Mine's Gary Bettman. What's yours? Yes. This is the biggest, the easiest cop-out for the Arizona owners. Every time they say, Bettman will save us. Someone will save us. Because he always does. They always do. Why anyone is surprised today, I, I'm stunned. Everyone's like, oh, they're not doing it after yesterday? They've had so many death blows. And here's the other thing. You know, you know what the hit you know what get Batman's biggest proof of concept for expansion has been? The desire was obviously bigger markets and, and everything, but the, the thing, the real goal was the only way the National Hockey League is gonna become a major sport in the US is if we start building roots, grassroots level mm-hmm. stuff in non traditional markets, a sunbelt. You can say whatever you want about Austin Matthews, arguably a top five player in this in this league. He would not be in the National Hockey League if the NHL didn't go to Arizona. Do you think Gary Bettman is going to let that pass? That's his biggest proof of concept for success of growing the game. One of the best players in the game came from a market he wouldn't otherwise come from. He's not going to punt on that. It's just not going to happen. But it's still, like, he's still from there. Even if they don't play there, he can be like, look, he came from the South. He came from a team that's, or a market that's non-traditional. And he could just use that example for other non-traditional markets. Yeah, but what happens to the Arizona market? He's going to let that go. I mean, Arizona is one of the top media markets and top like in growing markets in the U.S. Every single major sport wants to have a foothold there. Yeah, but and look, I do think the market is good, and I think if they actually figured out a situation where they could play in downtown Phoenix, had a good owner, they were spending money and actually improving the team, I think it would do well. But if you just keep doing this. And Bettman keeps saving you. Like, honestly, I do think yesterday was the last straw. As much as they said today, hey, maybe they're not relocating, I just can't see how they get past this unless the Suns owner comes in and is like, hey, I'll buy the team, put them in the arena, it'll be fine. But that's the thing. It's But I just don't think it's going to happen. At what cost are they willing – like, what's the next thing, thing that they're willing to concede? Because to me, the gate receipts, that's a huge thing. It is. When they decided, hey, let's go play in a college arena, that is like – they'll drop anything it's about being to in the make mar- this work. That means it's more important for them to be in the market than it is to draw fans, at least short yes. term, right? That's That's been the most important thing to them. And what do a lot of billionaires – how did a lot of businessmen become billionaires? It's by buying things on the cheap – and then growing it. If that, they're willing, if they're willing to sell this at a cost just to keep it in Arizona, so would anyone be surprised? Ishby would fall into like business-wise. Here's a great proposition: you can buy it a lot cheaper than you normally would. It's going to become a billion-dollar franchise for you. Yeah, you got a front to retrofit your arena so they can play in downtown. But he he can buy it. I wouldn't say for pennies on the dollar, but what seventy-five cents on the dollar maybe. Mm-hmm. You know how much money he's going to make on that? That might be too good a deal for if, him to pass up. And the other thing is, when has Gary Bettman and the league let something like this fall out, fall apart without knowing what their next move is? They always know what their next move is. And the fact we keep talking about Ishby and downtown Phoenix leads me to believe they're going to figure a deal out. Yeah, but we're also talking about like Salt Lake City is coming up and stuff. They want expansion. Expansion money is more important to the league than relocation. Yeah, but... I just, I also think the idea of expanding to 34, I, I, don't know, I know they got the taste of like, oh, wow, look at all this money we're getting, yeah. but it just seems like a horrible idea. I, I don't know. I, like, I just, it feels like 
things aren't going their way anymore. Like, they're not getting saved as much as... Like, because they seemed confident they were going to get this Tempe thing figured out. Yeah. And it didn't happen. No. Well, they felt confident every step of the way in yes. the Arizona debacle. They The league has felt confident every single time. It hasn't worked, and we've all sat here and said, it's over, Gary. It's over. And they've doubled down, tripled down, quadrupled down on themselves. And And now, the thing is, that when you control the race, you can just move the finish line. Yeah. Every exactly. single time. You can say, well, we'll win... Instead of 100 meters, now a 200-meter race. I'll beat you there. Well, and, if, and again, if, if the goal is to grow the green game grassroots-wise and you're trying to really you know, build more ho- people to participate in playing hockey, when you have Austin Matthews from Arizona, it, like, it, it proved the biggest thing they were trying to do. And the idea makes sense. Look, it, it's a tough sport financially to, to get involved in and all that sort of stuff. The only way to grow it at the top level is start from the bottom. Yeah. And to your point, it's get fans that aren't into the game into this game and now see how that grows over the course of 15, 20 years. And do you, and I mean, honestly, what we're talking about here is building a fan base of about 15,000 that are committed and are going to buy tickets consistently. I mean, we're not talking, I mean, we're not talking about, and it takes a long time, but we're not talking about you have to have like 400,000 fans that are knocking on the door to get right. in. You need 15,000 committed fans that are going to show up to your building every single season. They couldn't even get 15,000 votes yesterday. That kind of tells you about where that situation is at. But hey, I'll be surprised. Josh thinks it's going to happen. Maybe we'll have to re- we'll bring the tape back and, and talk about how this was the ultimate demise of the Arizona Coyotes in Phoenix, but not convinced. We'll see what happens. All right, uh, we'll switch our sights to goaltending. Kevin Woodley's going to join us next, and that's coming up right here on Canuck Central. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drans. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canuck Central coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. It's Satin Bick. Get your thoughts in, as always, to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. And uh, let's just bring in one of our favorite guests, the best goalie analyst money can buy or... Or favors can buy, too, I'd say. Kevin Woodley now, Ingle Magazine and NHL.com. Kevin, always a pleasure getting you on the show, man. How are you? I'm good. We'll work for food. Is that what you mean by... <laughs> we're we're in the media, yes. Analysts, yeah. buy. Like, that's what galley analysts get paid, right? Like, throw me a bag of nibs, boys. I'm ready to go. Hey, you know, some people say, if it's free, give uh, uh, it's for me. The radio slogan is, if it's free, give me three. There you go. Yeah. So three bags of nibs. We're on. <laughs> yeah, sold. Sold for 20 minutes of analysis. Hey, what's the going rate right now for a goalie to stick around and play the next game? <laughs> I, I, like, I, can we just get one that can get through a game in <laughs> yeah. the playoffs? No like, kidding. It's a pretty short list, right? Like, what are we What are we? third guy in with, or I guess second guy, but... Like, it, doesn't it feel like Vegas has been through half the league right now? It certainly does, doesn't it? And Aiden Hill is now the answer and goal. I mean, when we look at these, the four remaining teams, like, how do we even go about ranking the goalie situations? And, and how closely is that all tied to how they play as teams? I think it's all tied to how they play. Like, we talked before, you know, a couple of weeks ago about how, you know, the only guy left after the first round that finished in the regular season top 10 in goal saved above expected by ClearSight Analytics was, was Jake Ottinger. Um, so I think he sort of had the premium label amongst those that were left. Well, he gets out of the Seattle series and he's below expected in every category. So 
Um, if he's the marquee name, um, you know, he's, he's, he's not shining right now, yet he's through to the third round. Uh, I looked at that game the other night, and, you know, it's funny. I, this one, like, listen, I should be all rah-rah on the positive goalie stats. So when they posted at the end of the game that Jake Ottinger in Game 7s had made 86 saves, and 64 of them were Game 7 against Calgary last year, and 22 were against Seattle, I'm like, one of these things is not like the other. And then the next morning I looked it up on ClearSight. Seattle had two high-danger chances in the entire game and one went in. Two. So, you know, very much so when Dallas defends like that, Ottinger's going to look good. Um, and when they don't, you know, he hasn't. And that's not a criticism of him. Like, I think he's an elite, high-end, you know, top-ten goalie. But I do think a lot of the narrative that surrounds him in terms of where he ranks on that list is based on that playoff last year. And it was remarkable. It reminds me of Shesterkin's season, right? Like he just created expectations that I don't know are fair. And in Andre's case, you know, I, you know, I don't know that he's at that point yet. And um, it really is. And I think this goes to, you know, through a lot of these teams in the playoffs. It's about what they can do in front of these guys. If you provide them with some structure and support and a somewhat predictable environment, uh, you've got a group of goaltenders left that will have success. If the environment deteriorates, I don't know that there's like, there's no, there is no Shishterkin. He's the only guy in the playoffs that sort of have numbers that were like, it doesn't matter what they do in front of them. This guy's backstopping them. And he didn't make it through the first round. So it's, it is really interesting. You know, it kind of continues the trend of last year where, where Colorado, as much as, some of it may have been injury-related with the eye injury to Kemper um, because he was good during the regular season. They won a cup in the playoffs by basically not giving up anything. The same with that, you know, I talked about what Dallas did defensively against Seattle in Game 7. reminded me very much of what the Avalanche did to Tampa Bay in Game 6 of the Cup Final the year before. Like, it didn't matter who you had in net because there wasn't any any chances. So every season when we get to the top four, I like to do this thing, this exercise of just looking at common threads between all four teams, whether it's roster construction, styles of play, whatever. How do teams get here, basically, and what can be learned upon it? When I look at goalies, I don't know. That's when we get to talk to you. Is there like a, a common trait or style of play that mirrors all four goalies that is instructive for where the league is going? Yeah, they're all butterfly goalies. But <laughs> so, so is every goalie in the world. That's about all I can fine for you between them right um honestly like I, I i think sort of back to that last answer the commonality is these are all guys who can who can play really well with support but they're not carry a team guys even Bobrovsky, and he was really good in the last round like his adjusted numbers for the play, like don't forget he also gave up 17 goals in like four games in the round before that right like 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 they got past boston because he was good in some games he wasn't good throughout the way he was against toronto and that's why i think in some ways, you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop with him because consistency has been a challenge. Um, his numbers on the whole in the playoffs, like plus 1.4%, really good. Mm. Top five in the playoffs so far. Wouldn't win you Vesna Trophy. So for all the people that are like, Vesna Trophy, Bob is back. <laughs> yeah, he gave you four of those yeah. in the last round. Um, but again, like the only guy who's sort of you know, at least for one series was dominant, dominant was Igor Shesterkin. And, and everything else has sort of been 
you know, a tier below. And, and I feel like I'm waiting for the knock at the door to come take the goalie union card right out of my pocket right, right. now. But this, is, this really is where we're at. You know, it goes back to that old conversation with the goalie coach. You know, if you could, what would you take? Three great centers, four great defensemen, or one elite goalie? And most guys will tell you now, give me four elite defensemen, and I'll build you a goalie that can win behind them. And yeah. I, th- I think that's where the trend is right now. And all four of these guys kind of check that box, even though one of them is making 10 schmel. You know, it kind of brings me back to something Rick Tockett was speaking about when he was first hired and he was, you know, asked about, you know, how do we, in we're seeing offense, you know, skyrocket. We've seen it happen the past couple of years, especially in the regular season. And, you know, where are we going to see the difference? Like what's going to happen in terms of getting back to better defensive play? And he said game management, puck management is behind. And if you can play and manage the puck well and find that, you can actually find a lot of success in today's league. And I think that's what we're seeing at least now. And we'll see how much of that, you know, carries over. But it really seems like the details is an underrated quality for a lot of teams right now that are getting this far. Yeah, no, I know. I would agree totally. And, and I think, you know, when, when the attention is, is that heightened um, and the attention to detail that comes with that from a team, like you're just seeing better decisions, right? Like teams aren't trading. Like we've seen, doesn't mean it's not all entertaining. Although, you know, admittedly I was down in Seattle, for all but game six of the last round through the first two rounds. And, you know, there were some long stretches as, as electric as that city was and that building climate pledge is amazing. There were stretches where in both series where you were like, Ooh, need a coffee here. Um, this is sleepy. And, you know, I don't think that's a coincidence that that's a team that got the game seven of the second round in its second year of existence. Like as much as they forecheck as aggressively as they tried uh, at the offensive end to force the other team to make mistakes, um, you know, you didn't see them turn over a lot of pucks in the neutral zone, gaining the zone at the blue line. Like that forecheck was built off getting it deep and going to work. They didn't sort of give pucks up in spots that led to odd man rushes. And actually when they did against Dallas, they got punished for it. Um, A lot of the rush chances that Dallas was able to convert were the rare times where Seattle sort of lost that focus or lost that attention to detail and started to make some of those situational errors and allowed the star skilled players to get them back the other way in transition. And so I, you know, for all the, all the excitement over the offense and it's the skills never been better and it's still all there. Um, you just have that much more focus and attention to detail on not permitting or, or doing your best to sort of not give that skill time and space um, you know, as, as, or at least giving them as little as you can. And I think that probably you missed that in the regular season. I think that's why Seattle, you know, went on stretches this year where they were great and stretches where they looked really average because the way they play, the level of sort of commitment to that style required to have success is really hard to do for 82 straight games. Hell, there were nights in the playoffs they couldn't sustain it. You know, um, they couldn't sustain it with a chance to go up 3-1 series in game four in Seattle. And and that's why, you know, like it, it's hard to do, but it's easier in the postseason than it is through 82. Now that we've been through two rounds, uh, is there something that you're learning about where this season has been, about, you know, how these four teams got here? Because I know you like to cite uh, the, in the playoffs, like the high danger chances that uh, Clear Sights uses. Has that followed through again this season? Um, that's a good question, Vic. I need to, I haven't checked my bets in a while. 
that's the way, right? Yeah. It's been a bit of a, it's been a bit of a, it's been a bit of a go here, boys. And so uh, I'm just trying, trying to remember who it's like, like for sure um, that, that, that stat, that five on five high danger chances mm-hmm. again, that I really like for playoff success. Um, you know, and I, I joke about bets, but that, that's sort of, that's the one I would bet on if I was betting like Carolina was number one in the regular season at that, mm-hmm. you know, and we can talk about, you know, Frederick Anderson looks better than he has during the regular season. Cause my God, I pre I did the breakdown of the tape on his regular season. I'm like, what the hell happened to this guy? Did this like body snatchers invasion or some crap like that? Like <laughs> did not look like an NHL goalie, let alone Frederick Anderson, the stuff he was giving up on clean looks from distance. Um, the backdoor captains where he was totally out of his net on the other side, like it was really uncharacteristic and, and his numbers sort of bore it out. But underneath all that was a Carolina team that was number one in this analytic. And when I look at, you know, even now as Frederick Anderson's into the Eastern conference final, and we talked about the numbers, like he's barely above expected overall, he's got an expected save percentage of nine ten, which is one of the highest in the league. Like they are doing it with structure and defense and it was there all year and it's continuing. And so if they go on to a cup, then yeah, that number checks out. Um, surprisingly, Florida was better than Boston in that number, knocked them out in the first line, had the exact same number in that regard as Toronto knocked them out in the second round. Uh, Kings and Edmonton were really close. Um, and Dallas was third in that metric in the league. So, so, I mean, I look at the teams that are in the conference final Carolina's first in that metric. Dallas is third in that metric. Florida is sixth in that metric. And the, the, the sort of outlier here is Vegas at, at 15. And yet Vegas to get past Winnipeg, huh, Winnipeg was down there with them just, just a few percentage points ahead of them in that 14-15 range. So that wasn't a big leap. Um, the big one was more in the second round against Edmonton. The Oilers were a top four team in that metric. But interestingly enough, and I know this doesn't pass the eye test, but it's what the numbers said, the Oilers went from second in that metric to into that Vegas range of middle of the pack, 10 to 15 range after the Matias Ekholm trade. Defensively, they mm-hmm. gave up more and leaned heavier on Stuart Skinner after the Matias Ekholm trade. As much as it added to other elements of the game, defensively, by the numbers, by the math, they were not better. And it's interesting to me that a team that, based on that number, I would have expected to, to have its way with Vegas didn't. And the dynamic in terms of how well they defended those types of chances as a team changed after that acquisition. And the, and the way that series went, kinda, you kind of saw that at times. Like The goaltending didn't really bail them out all year outside of the six weeks after that trade where Skinner was asked to do more, and he did. The goaltending was way below expected by Campbell and below expected all year until March 1st by, by Skinner. And so it's not like the goaltending imploded. It's kind of what it was all year. The structure in mm-hmm. front of them didn't hold up the way it did through the, through March 1st. When we look at Edmonton then, what do you think they should do with their goalie situation considering they have Stuart Skinner and Jack Campbell both signed? I don't think they have a choice but to just bring them back, right? Like, I mean, no, one, no one's taking Jack Campbell off. He's into his third different brand of equipment. You want to talk about a guy who looks like he's, he's grasping. And I don't think that's fair because I think his equipment needed to change. It was actually one of the things I talked about when they signed him. Too mm-hmm. many five-hole goals based strictly on the, the outdated equipment he wore. And so I didn't think he'd do it in season. That's pretty rare to go through three different brands in the same year. But, you know, you're not moving that ticket. And why would you move on Stuart Skinner? Because as much as I talked about the expected 
numbers and how a lot of, you know, a lot of the numbers that got him into the all-star game were frankly a product of the defensive environment in front of him. Like they were team based. That's what propped up the raw numbers. Um, you listen to him like the, the stick breakage. And he's talking about keeping the stick to remind them it's never easy. Like I've had a chance to talk to him. I go back to actually the program of excellence camp at hockey Canada where their goalie coach sort of first dialed in on him and, and they drafted him that summer. Um, kid's really impressive. Like he's going to keep getting better. He's going to keep growing. I would not give up on him based on, you know, again, these playoffs, what, like this is the other theme of the playoffs. Like you're going to, you might need, if you did, if you needed two all year, you're probably going to need two in the postseason. Asking a rookie to play 12 straight when you didn't have him play 12 straight all year and Stuart Skinner might've been a little unfair. But I believe he will continue to grow and continue to learn even when the lessons are hard. Like, that's just how he processes things. And so you're keeping him. You can't move Campbell. But the only thing you need to do if you're the Edmonton Oilers next year, if you don't get Campbell back on track, and there's a little bit of sort of talk about this in the Edmonton market when I, I do a weekly hit there, is if you don't have faith in him, and clearly they didn't, then do you go out and make an investment in a Corpus or of a Kevin Lankinen, whoever next year's version of that is the low priced trade deadline acquisition that, you know, might be able to fit quite easily into a system that frankly is a lot more goalie friendly than the narrative suggests. On the market, we were talking earlier because everyone's trying to find the, the next Matt Kachuk type trade. Is there a goalie version of that that could materialize this season? Or is it just, just Hellebuck? Well, I was it, Hellebuck sad, isn't it? Yeah. But is, yeah, is there another name that you could wear on that one? Right, like we've talked about this before. Horses for courses, styles and systems. I've mm-hmm. seen Buffalo link to Hellebuck. Someone tagged me in a tweet saying, "Hey, should they go get Connor Hellebuck? Or if these rumors are real, I, I don't even know where the rumors came from. They may be nothing, but someone tagged me in that that question and. I saved my answer for you guys, of course. I didn't respond on Twitter. Love Thank it. you. But the, uh, like, that would not be a good idea. <laughs> I'm a big Connor Hellebuck fan, but that yeah. would not be a good idea. That is a team that bleeds east-west, bleeds high-danger laterals. Eric Comrie had one of the lowest expe- – he had the lowest expected save percentage in the entire league, and a lot of it was based on seam passes, back doors, cross sites. Connor Hellebuck's the best goalie in the world if you attack him in straight lines. Like, I believe that. And the numbers back that up. That's his strength. He is below average. Like, like not just a lit, not, not playing to his weakness, like Vasilevsky and screens and tips and, hey, he's 19th in this instead of top five, so let's go after that. I'm talking below expected, below average, if you go east-west on him. So if you're the Buffalo Sabres, and you've, you're not going to change how you play, and you think that just because he's a big name with a Vesna Trophy and another finalist nomination this year, by the way, for me it would be Soros, um, he's going to solve your defensive woes. You need to dig a little deeper into the numbers because to me you would be setting both sides up for a massive disappointment, especially when you consider what I imagine the cost would be. It really is important to consider how you play when considering what goalie you're going after. And in that case, you know, like, again, and this isn't a criticism of Hellebuck. I just think they're, they are on opposite Mm -hmm. extremes in terms of his strengths and their weaknesses as a team. 
it still seems to be one of those things a lot of teams ha- struggle to figure out is do they have a goalie that can fit how they play? And, and maybe sometimes it's a hard thing to predict with how much volatility there is year to year with how teams play and what happens. But I mean, I know we've talked about this example in the past, but the most instructive one really has been was the Ryan Miller trade when he got traded from uh, from the Sabres to the Blues in 2014, coming off a great season, one of the best he's had uh, up until then. I mean, you know, obviously he, he was a Vesna caliber before and goes to a Blues team that doesn't take away the backdoor play and he gets absolutely shellacked. And it's like... Why do teams still have a hard time figuring out that equation, which has been an issue for so many? Yeah, you know, I mean, sometimes it, it is that specific. Sometimes it's just like in the Jack Campbell case, like, hey, man, I went to give him 25 sheets to a guy who ranked in the 30s in adjusted save percentage in mm-hmm. his best two seasons, right? Like, sometimes it's, it, it's not a horses for courses thing. It's not specific. It's just, you know, the inability to recognize how much of a an individual success was team-based and that can get you into trouble. And then to me, the next level that you have to consider, you're right, is, is drilling down on those details. And, and to be quite frank with you, Sat, I don't know how many of the other, you know, like I come, it's, it, these things become easier for me to spot because of the numbers I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about screens and I start talking about the types of screens on Vasilevsky and relative weaknesses, when I look at ClearSight, I've got I've got four different types of screenplays, mm-hmm. and expected values on each of them, and his success on each of them over the last five six years. I don't think most analytics companies even account for screens. Um, you know, we see a lot of stuff passes into the slot, but but not east west across the middle. I don't know that slot line is accounted for. So obviously, I'm biased 150 percent, and they give me access to mm-hmm. it. So I'm, but. I'm seeing these correlations play out. I'm seeing the predictability using these metrics. And then I'm like, why the hell don't more teams have them? And if I'm, if I'm guessing better than some of these teams are using these numbers, then, you know, like it blows me away that they don't have access to them or more don't have access to them when, you know, I mean, I just gave you an example. It's a $25 million mistake. Yeah. Because because you you only want to invest in one or two analytics companies mm-hmm. makes no sense to me. But hey, like like I said, I am biased on that one. Full disclosure. Um, but like I said, I, I've also called those shots and been right more often than some of these teams, frankly. And I'm using those numbers to do it. It's not because I'm smarter. It's because the numbers I have access to are producing those results. Well, it. it- we know we talk about NHL is now every NHL front office is embracing analytics. Now they all have analytics departments, but it's not quite where baseball is at, where everything's been kind of smoothed out now and they, they have access to all the information and it's harder. Well, to Cause they, hey, but difference. some of this is just cheaping out. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. Like they, they'll buy in an analytics company, but then, Hey, we're producing our own numbers. Um, I don't know why when you consider the relative cost compared to some of the mistakes, you just wouldn't want access to all the numbers. Like, 100%. ClearSight does players, does teams, does all the other stuff. Hell, I'd invest in it just for the goalie numbers mm-hmm. to avoid those. T- especially if I was in a year of free agency where I'm looking for a goaltender in free agency, I, I just can't imagine not having that in front of me. Well, there, there are still uh, market inefficiencies that can be exploited in analytics in the NHL. Can't happen in other sports as much, and we'll see if that gap closes. But that's one. Sign up for ClearSize Analytics if you're an NHL organization. You'll figure out your goalie situation. But, hey, always great stuff, Kevin. We appreciate your time as always. Can't wait to chat with you again next week as well.
Yeah, appreciate it, guys. We'll uh, we'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the conference final. Oh, I know it'll be fun. We'll have a lot to break down. Thanks so much, Kevin. Take take care, guys. Uh, it's Kevin Woodley in Goal Magazine, NHL.com, the goalie guru here on Canuck Central. And that's one thing, Bick, about the NHL, which is fascinating to me with front offices and how they're going to operate. And and I'm really curious to see, you know, what the Canucks do with this. For instance, there's just one example in terms of analytics where there are correlations that are very close to being causally proven with what he's seen through these analytics programs and models that they have, especially for from clear sites and goaltending, that teams are literally bypassing value that's at their fingertips. That's going to stop happening. Mm-hmm. It always does. Like baseball went through this revolution where they started growing. Now it's like everybody has the same info. Everybody subscribes to the same stuff. Everyone knows everything about everybody, and it's harder to find that edge. That edge can still be found in the NHL. Yep. It's uh, still unbroken ground yes. to find uh, for team-building concepts. Yes. And it's the stuff we talk about from with Woodley, and, and I, the thing I like about this a lot more it's more than just, well, this guy gets a lot of shots on or this guy has his right. higher expected goals. This is like we're breaking down and saying, hey, this goaltender, if you take away the backdoor play, if you take away this type of chance, if you play this type of defense in front of him, he's going to be his best. It's very simple. Like we're not talking about these, you know, machinations of stats and formulas. It's literally going through stylistic chances and saying, hey, how can we limit these things? It's there, and I, you referenced it, like the, the Ryan Miller move, and it's why like these conversations with Woodley are so important is the thing that's so overlooked is matching defensive principles yes. to your goaltender. Yeah. And like I'm always enthralled when we have these conversations because you can go so in-depth for the specific goalie to why it works for some guys and why it doesn't work for other guys. But that, to me, is such like uncharted territory still, I think, mm-hmm. to this day, where teams – get it wrong traditionally yeah and it's pretty and it's it's curtailed spending on goaltending which i can kind of agree with but hey man goalies deserve to get paid too yeah but it's because there's so much unknown it's not because it's not just because oh there's so many goalies and we can stop the spending it's because people are afraid to spend because they don't know what they're doing as as well well that's why anytime i hear the phrase goalies are voodoo it's just because you don't have the right information yes and that's you're, the, you're blaming the goalies when the problem is on you. Yes, and on us, I would say. And now yes. I think we're fi- starting to find avenues to better analyze goaltending, and, and that's a really fascinating angle of it, and we always love digging into it with Kevin Woodley. All right, uh, that brings us to the end of this segment. Overrated, underrated, that's coming up next. Keep getting your submissions in to our text inbox, 650-650. It's Satin Bick on Canuck Central.